Hi, my name is Marion Osborne. Our reading is from the book of Genesis, chapters 12 and 15. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And they, when they, and they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Chechem, to the oak at Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Uh, he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. The word of the Lord. When uh, 
When the global pandemic hit in full three years ago, and we ended up in that lockdown period uh, for a couple of months, I, I was hopeful a couple of weeks in that there would be a lasting impact on our nation and the world. I really did. I had this, this thought that this will be like a new 9-11. And those of you who were um, around were adults in that time. You remember in the months and, in fact, year plus after uh, September 11, 2001, there was a unity in the country where it felt like even you know, across political aisles and differences in other ways, we're kind of all heading in the same direction. And I thought, like, okay, this global pandemic hits. A few weeks later, we're going to be out of it, and there's going to be just a renewal of connection with one another, desire to be together and not just be apart in digital, um, we'll, we'll have the same direction for a little bit, maybe even for a couple of years, because we will have had the same story. We'll, it's something we're in together, which often is what you find. When you're in some sort of challenge or suffering together, you all experience the same thing. It can be incredibly unifying, that collective experience type thing. And yet today, you know, two and a half years after that, we're more polarized and atomized than ever. We are more against each other as a country, as a, as a nation, as the world, and we're more individualistic, atomized. We're separated from one another. The past 15 years, if you really look back at it, sociologists, anthropologists say the rapid transformation of our culture and our world has been absolutely incredible. And it is a combination of things, right? It's, it is your cell phone being a smartphone. It's social media with one after the other being unfolded out. It's the political divisions that have happened in our country. It's rapid transformation culturally in other ways and a constant disassociation from one another. So we are further apart today and for many of us more alone than we ever have been in our lives. We think of ourselves and, and our story this way. We think, okay, it's my story, so I get to decide what my story is about, and you don't really have a say in it. So my story is how I define myself. And part of the reason why each of us has our own story as my story is that we do not have a common foundation or authority. We've talked about this. Go back to the sermons back in June. We don't have a common place we're starting from, a common belief system. Say, this is why we know what's true or right. We don't come from a common understanding of who am I, why am I here, what matters, what is good, what is even true. I must decide on my own. That's my story. It's my story to figure out and tell. But Christianity says something entirely different. Christianity says God, the God, the creator, is the authority. We go to him to understand this world and everything that it's about. And that the history of the world, the history of creation, is God's story, not my story, not even our story. It's God's story. And it's God's story of love and redemption and eternity. It's an amazing story. And the story gets centered, at least in our passage, but actually through the whole Bible, at first in the story of Abraham that we just had read for us. Abraham is the father of monotheistic and Western religions. Over half of the world's nearly 8 billion people trace their religious ancestry to Abraham. Abraham is also the central figure in the book of Genesis, and he is a prominent and central figure throughout the Bible, all the way through to Jesus and the New Testament and, and towards the end. The story of Abraham is the story of God choosing a person, a singular person, to work out his redemptive plan through and giving him promises, promises of love and redemption and eternity. Abraham is central 
to the whole history of what God is doing in the world, to his story. And it gets unfolded as Jesus is seen as the one carrying out the promises given to Abram. And in the New Testament, as we understand Christianity as a result of what God already began to do in Abraham. And our story, our story, my story, your story, is bound up in his, what God is doing and revealing already in Genesis 12 and 15. The call of God to every one of us is to find our story in God's story and therefore find love and redemption and eternity. But it means the same thing as it did for Abram, leaving, leaving my story altogether and trusting him. In Genesis 12 that Marion just read, I want to go back to the setting here. The setting is God, in a sense, out of nowhere, if, you're, if you read all, all through Genesis, uh, appearing again, which he does occasionally. He shows up and appears and calls a man named Abram. He calls him and makes promises to him. Let me read this to you. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. That's the call. And the two the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham is called to leave, to go, go from. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house. Everything he'd known to a land I'm going to tell you, don't worry about where, just go. And if some of you like want to know exactly where we're going here, God's like, just follow me. I will lead you. And I will make you a nation, offspring. You'll be a blessed. My presence will go with you. My favor will be with you. I will give you a name, honor, status, lasting legacy. And all the world all peoples will be blessed through you, because of you, in you. And God doesn't really give Abram any obligations to receive these promises. It falls on God, except for one. It's leave. Leave. Go from. That's all he has to do. But that's not a small thing. To go or to leave, the, the Hebrew there is, is much, much thicker, much harder, much harsher. It's determined disassociation from. It is cutting off completely. Okay, so cutting off completely his family and his home. To leave was an act of faith. It involved trusting God entirely for his security and his future. And we read in verse 4, the very simple statement, so Abram went. Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, so Lot, I mean, Abram was how old again? 75? When he leaves his family, his land, everything he'd ever known, 75 years old. There's a handful of you in here that are over 75, okay? If you had lived in the same place with the same extended family your entire life, and then God says, okay, I want you to move. Don't worry where, I, I will take you. 
His whole life had been lived under the, in the connection of his extended family with his father and his brothers, brother, his cousins. They'd all lived together. That's the way you did it back then. So his entire village was what he had known his whole life. And while he had moved a little bit in this one region, Hur and Haran, it was in the same community. It was like he lived in Vienna and then he moved to Oakton, but he basically lived in the same community with his extended family his whole life. It is impossible to overstate the radical nature of God's call for him to leave his father and his land. Safety, livelihood, identity, everything he'd ever known. It's impossible because we don't relate to it. Many of you went somewhere this summer. You got in a car and drove, and you were hundreds of miles away. You got in a plane, you went overseas. You sent your kids off to summer camp, kids off to college. We move multiple times in our life. You don't even live near your family, most of you, right? So it's not weird for us to think God would call you to go somewhere, and we think of it radically like God might call me to Kenya, to India, to whatever, some other place. But we can imagine it. Because we fly everywhere, we've traveled everywhere, and we can see it. Movies, our phones, we could see the world. You could not see the world back then. You had one location that you knew, one culture you understood or, or language group that you were familiar with. Everything he had ever known in every way you possibly could have imagined living. God's call to leave his country, his land, his kindred, his clan, his family, his household was incredibly impossible. It was not only unimaginable, it was actually offensive and shameful. It was offensive to his father, to the rest of the clan. He would be leaving, in a sense, in shame. So strong was the identity, as one Old Testament scholar put it, so strong was the identity of a person with his father's household that an individual's behavior had implications for the entire family. Abram cut the strongest bond by leaving his father, which provided his own household with socioeconomic viability. And on top of that, Abram then becomes an alien, a stranger. He is a wanderer, a stranger in the land that God had promised to him. He lived all his days at home, and now he's an alien and a stranger and a foreigner all the rest of the days of his life. Hebrews 11 says, because he put his hope not in a land that was here, but in an eternal land. To follow God, to follow God where he calls you to go, and if you're following God now, it does mean being an alien and a stranger in whatever land you're dwelling in. I think the call of Abram asks us, is fitting in, is being accepted, is not being an alien, considered strange, not being an alien, not being different, is that a stronger pull on you than following the Lord? You cannot serve God and opinions. Abram went, he left. And the question for us is, where are you today? Where are you kind of with God today? It's early September, fall has kicked off. It's a great place to, it's kind of the, the school year kickoff, even though most of you started a couple of weeks ago. It's like a new year. You know, where are you? Assess it. 
Have you been seeking the Lord, growing in your faith? Are you hungering for more of God, experiencing Him, listening to the Spirit, walking in His ways, following Christ, being shaped over the past couple of years more and more into the image of Christ? Do you look more and more like Jesus to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers? Or are you in a crisis of faith? Are you in a moment where you've just drifted? Who or what are you following right now? You know, a disciple, in kind of the New Testament way of understanding a Jesus disciple, a disciple was somebody who followed somebody else. They sat under their teaching and were supposed to be conformed to their image, become like them. Jesus' disciples were following him, being conformed to his image. They were supposed to know his teaching, live and look like him, do the things that Jesus did. That's what a disciple was. You were a disciple. You were a disciple, let me rephrase that, you were a disciple of something. Something or someone is discipling you. As Jamie Smith wrote in a couple of his books, you are what you love, and you love what you do most. You are what you love, and you love what you do most. The things you do and do habitually are doing something to you. Things you do and do habitually are doing something to you. They are shaping you. They are discipling you. They're forming you. Do you need to leave something today? Are you listening? Are you open to God appearing? What has God been asking you to leave? Not what do you think will make you happier? Not what will make you happy like, oh, if I leave this person, I will be much happier. If I change jobs, then I'll be happier. If I leave this town, then I'll be happier. Maybe, but are you listening to God or your feelings? Listen to God or the other things discipling you? Where do you need to leave? And this is not a private event. Look, this is not just that in your heart you leave something behind. If God is calling you to walk away from something that you're in or something that is discipling you that needs to not be discipling you, that is not a private in your heart thing. When Abram's caravan left, it wasn't a quiet thing, silent thing. It wasn't just a between him and God and his heart sort of thing. It was sort of obvious. He's leaving. Abram leaves. He follows God, putting all his trust in God, And then we read in verse 5 through 7, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land. And then it goes on to say, verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He follows God. He stops where God appears. And he built an altar to the Lord. He worshiped. That act of worship is is Abram saying, I trust you. I will follow you wherever you lead me. But then about eight or nine years pass, and we're going to skip over some of these really interesting stories in here. You can go read them on your own. Eight or nine years pass, and, and nothing else seems to happen. But God then appears again to Abram. And, and Abram is a little frustrated. So 
First God appears, it says, after these things, this is chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, so eight, nine years later, maybe 10, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, meaning I am with you, I am with you. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. God, you said, you said I would have, I would become a nation. I would have offspring. I don't even have a son. I'm 85 years old. I do not have a kid. And I'm supposed to have a nation birthed out of me? He said, you said I would be a nation. I would have children. I would be a blessing to the world. We would have a land. Do what you promised, God. And what's amazing is God does not respond as like the rest of us would, like take him out to the woodshed. God responds to Abram's complaint with mercy, patience, as he does with each of us. He responds with patience and mercy, and it's the invitation to bring your complaint to the Lord. You know, Abram does what the psalmists do. The psalmists often complain to the Lord, but their complaint is built on the nature of God and God's promises. It's not just, I want these things, why aren't you giving me what I want? It's, God, you are this kind of a person, and I know your promises. Be true to your covenant faithfulness, O Lord. And God wants to hear those complaints, that anger, the frustration, the, where are you, God? When are you going to answer my prayer? I long for you to show up, Lord. God, in mercy, doesn't strike him. He takes him outside, and he gives him a demonstration, an assurance, and then he enacts the covenant. It says in verse 5, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. Count them if you are able to. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You know, what's amazing here is he's, he's still saying, wait. <laughs> he still says to Abram, so shall your, there's all the stars, so shall your offspring be. You're not going to live to see this. You're going to need to trust me. One day, one day. But you will not see it probably. Do you trust me? And in verse 6, we get what Abram does. And Abram, he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abram as righteousness. Righteousness means covenant faithfulness. He considered Abram to be covenant faithful, but Abram hadn't done anything in a normal way of like following the rules. He hadn't done anything. And then God gives him another promise, and it's the promise of codifying the promises that he made to him in a covenant ceremony. It's this bizarre story here. And so what happens is in, in the next scene, God says, okay, Abram, I want you to do something. I want you to take some animals. He says, take a heifer and a goat and a ram and some pigeons. I want you to slaughter them. And I want you to take the big animals, the heifer, the goat, and the ram, and I want you to cut them in half. And it means cut them in half like this, like straight down the middle. And what you're going to do is you're going to put one half here and the other half here. So half of the heifer is here, the other half is here. Half of the goat is here, the other half here. And they made a line. And maybe one uh, bird is here and the other bird is there. All the dead carcasses are lying there on the ground. Abram knows exactly what's going on here because he, he is aware of the covenantal ceremonies that were a part of that ancient world. We are not. Then, then God says to Abram, or it says in verse 12, 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. That dreadful and great darkness is an awareness of the presence of God. And then when the sun, verse 17, had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. We live in a literate society, in a paper-oriented society, so when we are doing a, a contract, bringing two people together with binding legal agreements, it's literally a legal contract. It's a, it's a law contract that involves lawyers, lots of them, pages, many, many pages, and then signatures. And when you both sign or both sides sign, then you're saying, okay, we agree this is the legal contract that binds us together in whatever relationship that we now understand. That ancient world was not a written or literate culture. They were an oral culture. And they had something instead called a covenant. That ancient world, the ancient Middle East, was filled with covenants. It was bringing two families together, two nations together. We talked about this last week. And in those covenants, the covenants were not kind of put together on a piece of paper that you all signed. They were actually acted out publicly. The covenant was acted out publicly in a ceremony that involved rituals and symbols and signs. We do that today still in a marriage. A marriage ceremony is enacting a covenant. It's acting out the bringing together of two families and two peoples with rituals and symbols and words declaring what was going to be brought together, a sign, a ring. Abram is told to take the animals, cut them in half. It's actually what the word covenant means, literally it means to cut. So you cut a covenant. Because they were talking about cutting the animals was actually a very common way to, to bring about the covenant. And it basically was like this. If you had what was called a parity covenant between two equals, so this clan and this clan are going to kind of have a peace treaty and intermarry and work together, you would lay the animals down, and then the head of this household and the head of this household would recite the promises and obligations that they were making in the covenant, and then each one of them would walk through the center of the animal carcasses, basically saying, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, it would happen to these animals, happen to me. There's, an, uh, I think, a Syrian uh, document that we have from the 8th century that is citing a particular subject king named Matilu. Now, when you had a subject king, you had a king who conquered another king, you would kind of establish one of these covenants, but the conquering king did not walk through the lambs, the animals. Only the subject king did. Matilu was the subject king. He had to representatively walk through what was a decapitated lamb. Lovely. And the words written down, which we actually have, are that if basically Matilu and his sons and family and extended family don't uphold their end of the bargain as subjects to this new king, then may what happened to the lamb happen to Matilu and his sons and his whole nation. But in the ceremony with Abram, something unique happens. The dreadful darkness falls upon Abram, and Abram's expecting the very next thing, being the Lord reciting the covenant, the promises, and saying, Abram, stand up and walk through the animals. But God doesn't do that. Instead, a vision happens of a fire pot and a torch passing through the animals. 
fire was a theophany for God in the Old Testament. God is unseen, but when he appeared, it was often in the form of fire, the burning bush, the pillar of fire, a cloud of smoke that led Israel in the wilderness on Mount Sinai. God appears up in the, on Mount Sinai in fire and flame, and it's the same words are used. God's presence is what's being talked about. In other words, in that deep sleep, in that fearful, dreadful vision, God symbolically passes through the carcasses. But in an ancient ceremony between a powerful king and a lesser king that was conquered, it should have been the lesser king who walked through. In this case, God, the greater, is the one who walks through. Abraham should have been the one to walk through. But God walks through the split animals, the carcasses. God is saying, if I do not uphold my end of the bargain to fulfill the promises I made to you, Abraham, then may what happened to these animals happen to me. And on top of that, if you do not uphold your end of the bargain, if you are unfaithful to the covenant, Abram, if you or your offspring are unfaithful to the covenant, then may what happened to these animals happen to me. In Genesis 15, the curse for breaking the covenant is borne by God. And that's the gospel. We have broken the covenant, but God takes the curse. On the cross, Jesus is cut off, slaughtered, forsaken for us. I'm going to skip over Galatians 3, but if you look at that, it basically describes how Jesus gives himself and our trust is in Christ who takes the curse of the covenant for us because we are unfaithful to it. And it is by faith, by trusting that God takes the curse for us that the promises are ours. It's by faith that we receive the gift of God's promise of life and forgiveness. So that in Genesis 15, we can read about how you receive the promises of God in Christ. Genesis 15, verse 6, it says, And Abram believed the Lord. Abram placed his entire trust and reliance upon the Lord, now and in the future. Abram believes the Lord will fulfill his promises, and he's entrusting his future, his entire future, to God and what he will do for him. And for the most part, he sees none of it in his lifetime. None of it happens except for one son in his lifetime. Faith, which is at the center of Abram's response to God, real faith is not just acknowledging that something is true. Like you and I could acknowledge, could say, or mentally assent to, Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, right? But this can be simply intellectual assent. Even the demons believe Jesus is the Christ. Real faith is revealed in actions and a character that is shaped by those. So Abram went. Abram continued to follow the Lord in the midst of all of his brokenness and messing up. Real faith is revealed in actions and character that flow from our will and the desires of our heart. 
And here's what I've found in my life, and probably in yours too, is that we will justify doing anything we want. Ignoring God in any number of ways. We'll kind of do that kind of, you know, thing in our head. Did God really mean for me to do? That was for back then. Like, this is, you know, this book's 2,000 years old. That was for back then. We're in a different age now. Doesn't God want me to be happy in the way that I can imagine being happy? We will justify doing whatever we want to do or ignoring God because we will do what we want. That's what we do. We will do what we feel, what we desire. So what do you want? Security, comfort, approval, status, romance, wealth, pleasure, influence, or Christ. God's call to Abram was, follow me. Same call that Jesus had on his disciples. Go from your family, your household, everything you know. Go from those to the land I will show you. Leave everything and trust me. That's all, Abram. Jesus does the same thing, though. He comes along and isn't like, hey, I've got an easier way. He does, but he's like, here's the easier way. Leave everything and follow me. So they left their nets and their father and followed him. And to us, he says the same thing. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Leave what you need to leave. and Follow me. And it will cost you. It's going to cost you to follow Christ, especially right now. Following Christ and following Christ wholeheartedly and being shaped by him as a disciple will cost you. You will lose things that are important to you right now. Weigh those costs. But look, there is, in my observation, a crisis of discipleship in the American church. Over the past 10 years, we've been shaped more by politics and by God's word. We're shaped by social media instead of God's word. We're shaped by people's opinions instead of God's word. We're following our heart's desires instead of the word of the Lord. We're being shaped and formed and we have been so shaped and formed that we're not even aware that we've walked away or drifted. But God is constantly there to call us back, to wait with open arms and say, follow me, follow me, follow me. In a sense, what he's asking is a question we've brought up here a couple months ago or a year ago is, are you in? Not with Christ Church Vienna, with Christ. Are you in? Are you all in? Or is there kind of a part that you're holding? Like, no, except for this. You know, God, you can have everything except for what I do on this. Everything except for people's opinions of me. Everything except for this part of my money. Having a foot in the water is not swimming. Who are you following? And what do you know in your heart you need to leave? If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, your Savior and your God, and I know that you do. Some, some, most of us are just wrestling with that. We, we believe that. Then trust him. Trust him wholly. Leave behind whatever it is. And follow him. 
and nothing else. Let's pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may desire you and desiring you seek you and seeking you find you, finding you be satisfied in you so that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory, and for your good for all people, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, mighty King of heaven, Thou, our Lord, our guide shall be. i